This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. The Supreme Court has upheld the president's controversial travel ban on several majority Muslim countries. The reasoning? It's national security. There is a rational basis for the claims made by the president, and the law gives the White House a great deal of latitude. Cato's Ilya Shapiro discusses the case. To hear the majority tell it, this was a case about deference to the executive over an area of law that the president has a wide degree of latitude. Yeah, you could almost say that the majority and dissent are evaluating two different cases, or rather the majority considers this to be a, a sober evaluation of a normal uh, statute and uh, a normal kind of constitutional challenge, and the dissent thinks that it's evaluating um, something that's completely uh, out of the norm that we've never had uh, in our history and essentially a, a threat to the republic and, and the constitution isn't a suicide pact. Uh, very hard to reconcile. The, the dissent doesn't even deal with the majority opinion's uh, detailed examination of the statutory text. I don't know whether that's because they think it doesn't matter or because everything just comes down to the constitutional aspects and the threats to our culture and values. Um, but uh, you know, be curious to, to be a fly on the wall to see if there are any you know, screaming matches among the justices over this because if you read uh, between the lines, uh, this is a very heated disagreement, one that's different than even cases about uh, abortion or, or gay marriage or gun rights or any of these other culture war battles. So what did the majority find? So first of all, on the statutory uh, uh, issue, there is a provision, section 1182F of the Immigration and Naturalization Act, that gives uh, the president broad discretion to suspend the entry of aliens into the United States. Uh, the majority opinion says, quote, the president lawfully exercised that discretion based on his findings following a worldwide multi-agency review that entry of the covered aliens would be detrimental to the national interest. And that detrimental to the national interest finding is basically the beginning and end of it for the majority. Um, the, the John Roberts, in his opinion, goes on to say that the plaintiffs attempt to identify a conflict with other provisions in the INA and their appeal to the statute's purpose and legislative history fail to overcome the clear statutory language. So uh, it could be alleged that there's a, there's a conflict between uh, the president being able to restrict entry but not being able to discriminate based on certain categories, although religion's not one of those, um, in terms of issuing uh, immigrant visas. Well, here we're dealing with non-immigrants, for example. Anyway, there's a, a very detailed technical uh, explanation to, that the majority goes through uh, in talking about why, as on a statutory basis at least, the president's um, uh, discretion to, to, to issue restrictions when uh, admission of certain aliens would be detrimental to the national interest, um, it seems pretty – uh, pretty airtight uh, as a matter of, again, statutory uh, statutory text. And uh, to be fair to uh, the justices who uh, are in the majority, the, the term national interest seems to carry a lot of weight here in That's terms right. of the finding. That's right. And, and uh, Justice Kennedy and his concurrence, it's a you know, effectively a, a one or two page concurrence, depending on how you count it, uh, talks about how 
Um, quote, there are numerous instances in which the statements and actions of government officials are not subject to judicial scrutiny or intervention. That does not mean these officials are free to disregard the Constitution and the rights it proclaims and protects. So clearly, at least Kennedy, you can read implicitly into certain other sections, uh, are troubled by some of what the president is doing. But assuming the, the, the documents are properly lawyered up, um, and obviously travel ban 3.0 had a very different process than travel ban 1.0 that, that caused all the confusion and chaos at the airports and, and, and all the rest of it over a, a year and a half ago. Um, so assuming all of the legal documentation is, is there, the court is not going to second guess those national security, national interest determinations. All right. So, uh, the minority four votes, uh, they were seemed more concerned with the statements of the president about what uh, contributing, should say, supporting information provided by the statements of the president in assembling this travel ban. Well, it's curious. Unlike most five to four cases, there is not one unifying dissent uh, that, that all four dissenters join. Here we have a dissent by Justice Breyer joined only by Justice Kagan, effectively saying that the executive did not provide enough evidence to justify the restrictions that he's uh, imposing. And then we have a dissent by Justice Sotomayor joined by Justice Ginsburg that talks about how uh, this is a violation of religious liberty and all the values that we hold dear and likening this case to Korematsu, which is uh, the decision in 1942 where the Supreme Court okayed the internment of Japanese Americans in camps on the West Coast. So very significant, serious thing. Breyer's, as one might expect, is more technical, saying I need more evidence and um, you know, the, the evidence that you've submitted is, does not justify the actions you've taken. Uh, Sotomayor uh, goes more... Uh, in terms of values and rhetoric, and uh, um, this is clearly a Muslim ban by any other name and is un-American. So uh, each of those only gains two votes. So it's not a unified reason why they think the uh, the ban has to fall. Uh, this is from the majority opinion, uh, and you sent me an email shortly after the opinion came out uh, making, this, making this point here. Um, the dissent invokes Korematsu v. United States. Whatever rhetorical advantage the dissent may see in doing so, Korematsu has nothing to do with this case. Uh, they say they were, he writes further down, the dissent's reference to Korematsu, however, affords this court the opportunity to make express what is already obvious. Korematsu was gravely wrong the day it was decided, has been overruled in the court of history, and to be clear, quote, has no place in law under the Constitution. So what does that mean for this case, Korematsu v. United States? Of course, uh, the the famous Japanese internment case in the mid-40s. What is, is that case, has it been tossed effectively here, or had it already been tossed, or Caleb, is it still on the books? Caleb, this is literally an academic question. In fact, the the nerdiest corners of legal Twitter have been debating it all morning. Is this an overruling? Is it dicta, meaning just a statement that's non-binding? Uh, you could argue both ways because – the question of whether to overrule Korematsu was not squarely presented in this case. On the other hand, I don't know when was the last time, if ever, a lawyer ever cited Korematsu as good law. Practice tip, don't do that, regardless of whether you think this is a formal overrule or not. And more importantly than the line about overruled in the court of history, whatever that means, it's effective rhetoric, but the, the quote that you, that you gave has no place uh, in law under the Constitution. That's from uh, Justice Robert Jackson's dissent in Korematsu, for which he's rightly famous. That is arguably even stronger. So here, 
the, the five justices, a majority, are saying Korematsu has no place in law under the Constitution. That seems like an overrule. But of course, the question wasn't presented. Anyway, like I said, purely academic uh, decision. I think it's clear that the internment of U.S. citizens is not going to be approved by the uh, judiciary anytime soon. All right. So uh, going forward, uh, is there anything to take away from this? I mean, the, the one of the uh, points of analysis here was uh, the travel ban satisfies um, rational basis review. Yeah, that's an interesting and, and also kind of drilling into the legal weeds, but that's on the constitutional question. Uh, when it's a national security determination, uh, the court uh, will not apply a, a stricter level of scrutiny uh, because it's not equipped to do that, to, to, to weigh um, those kinds of, uh, of considerations here. And so um, because the, the executive branch presented adequate justifications, that overcomes uh, whatever um, uh, unease the court has, and, and John Roberts does have several pages talking about the various statements that Trump had, not not as long as Justice Sotomayor goes into in, in her dissent, but still notes all of the uh, fiery rhetoric and, and whatnot. But, but regardless, because there is a legitimate motivation, all of this kind of atmospheric tweeting and statements and, and whatnot uh, doesn't overcome that presumption or that standard, uh, which is, after all, based in, uh, in rational basis. Now, of course, we at Cato don't generally like rational basis. We think the government should uh, uh, be the one that bears the burden of justifying the um, its exercise of its powers that 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 violates or infringes on people's exercises of rights. But that's a little different in the uh, when we're talking about the foreign policy or national security context. And it's actually a little jarring to see that kind of scrutiny rubric applied. Oh, you should apply rational basis. No, it should be strict scrutiny. That that's that that kind of uh, uh, artificial. Uh, rubric is more appropriate to domestic uses of law or executive actions. And indeed, uh, the court talks about how this is not the typical establishment clause case about prayer in schools or or, or something like that. Uh, and whether you call it rational basis or simply a, a big deference to the executive on national security grounds because courts uh, both don't have all the information and aren't properly positioned uh, to second guess uh, those kinds of determinations, I think that's probably the right call. You know, I would have wished that it would not be uh, come under the under under the, the magic words of, of rational basis because so often, uh, at least in the more common ways we see it in the domestic realm, that that means the government can do effectively whatever it wants. One other thing to note, to, to underline, Caleb, is that this does not mean that uh, it's a good thing that the travel ban uh, is in place or that it was uh, upheld as a matter of policy. Um, uh, you know, I certainly haven't examined uh, all of the uh, all of the evidence that that led the uh, the, the administration to to write the proclamation travel ban 3.0 in this way. My colleagues David Beer and, and Alex Narasta did, and they think it doesn't justify it. And I, I accept that. Of course, we don't know. And, and all of course, of Cato, Cato's brief was about, hey, you should really look at the empirical data on this because that would inform your decision. That's right. It was a Brandeis brief, if you will, not not making a legal argument so much as saying, look, the, the evidence doesn't uphold it. It was, I guess, tailor-made for, for Justice Breyer's uh, uh, dissent, I, I, I suppose. Uh, but the, 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 the larger point um, 
uh, is that we we don't have uh, you know some of the evidence is, is no doubt classified. Some of it simply hasn't been made public, um, and and that's part of the reason why it's it's so hard to argue about these things. We we really don't want uh, courts, even a kind of a special national security court, say that's read into classified information, and then all of its opinion becomes uh, redacted or something. Do we really want to uh, go there? I, I I don't think so. And so the ultimate remedy on this sort of thing is is political. And if and if people don't uh, uh, don't like this, um, then uh, you know the, the the ballot box is the or of course impeachment is the, is the ultimate uh, remedy. Ilya Shapiro edits the Cato Institute's annual Supreme Court Review. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 